Okay, welcome to episode nine of the Game Dev Grip podcast. And today we have an international guest and it is Bagira20. So why don't you say a little bit about yourself, your background, what you're doing with Game Dev, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, hello. I'm uh, currently a student of game design in Germany, Cologne, at a university called Cologne Game Lab. I'm in my second semester and I'm doing my second project right now. Okay. Can you tell us what did you think game design was before you started school and what do you think it is now, if there's been any differences? Um, well... We, uh, in, in our school, we don't really learn that much about what actual game design is. I mean, we learn the basics of like, what is a gameplay loop and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I definitely noticed is that there's a lot more of, like everyone needs to know more than I thought. I guess that's basically, because before I thought that everyone is like in his own part like the programmer only does programming for example and the designer only does design but now um after having almost finished two uh group projects i definitely noticed that everyone needs to know a bit of every category because otherwise you can't even finish the game in time okay and also communicate right with the other team members if you know a little bit about what they do then it's a lot easier to communicate what you need to them Yes, yes, exactly. And communication is one of the biggest issues in general. Yeah, so when they have you on these projects, so the projects you're doing for your schooling, how long do the projects last? Like how much time do you have to do them? Usually six weeks. Six weeks. And how are you breaking that time down? Is it something that the instructors, are they telling you how to break your time down? Are you doing it on your own in teams? How does that work? So... Uh, our uh, professors don't really say us, okay, you need to do this in that week or something, but we do have fixed dates for presentations. So we have a first pitch after one week, an intermediate presentation after like half the time and the final presentation at the end. And of course you uh, in your team uh, always say, okay, we want to have something to show for each of those presentations. So you basically need to structure yourself in a way that you can show something interesting and impressive for every single uh, time. So what are some strategies or how are you and your teams or the other students working out what to do with your time and when and how much time to spend on what part of the process? So we are using a uh, scrum tool called Hack and Plan. Mm Um, where we we meet at least once every week in person at the uh, like at the place at the school, and then uh, our project leads um, will have an agenda of like things to talk about during the meeting, uh, like clearing up things that maybe were misunderstood or all of that, and uh, at the end we all uh, decide on what um, every member's uh, new task should be for the coming week. And and every member that knows like the most in his specialization, like either programming, art, or design, then um, gives an estimation of like how long he thinks he might, um, like how long he thinks that might take, and mm-hmm. then we um, try to make tasks that are doable within one week. 
so that we can actually see some progress in the in the project. Okay, so you're through two projects like that. Yes, I'm we're in them in, in our second project right now, yes. Okay, so from going through those two, what do you now know in this time that you wished you knew at the beginning before you started any projects? Um definitely that everyone has a completely different um image concerning every single word that exists. Um you can as as uh, especially for me as the designer, I sometimes try to explain a mechanic to our artists or our programmers. And for me, I think that the words I use are completely like defined and are like the, this is the only thing they can mean. But when uh, I then see how it's been programmed and how it's been portrayed in the art, I'm like, okay, both of these things are not what I had in mind at all. Um, so communicating clearly and well, in the best way with uh, images and visuals um, is something I wish I knew from the beginning because that would have saved us a lot of unnecessary misunderstandings. So maybe more references, like giving them more references of things that are a lot like it to kind of... Yeah, something like that. More references or maybe drawing a, a short little sketch to like illustrate you, this is what I mean. Yeah. Or like maybe a designer mock-up, right? So some crappy programming or something using some visual programming tool that sort of does the thing, but kind of illustrates it for the programmers and everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Because, for example, what was the thing we had this? Yeah, we had an ability for our current game, which was running on walls. Mm -hmm. And everyone had something different. Like one of our team thought it was like jumping between two walls. One thought it was straight up and then jumping off. One thought it was like running sideways. And so even with something similar like that, you need to specify exactly what you mean. And that's something I didn't know that there were so many different um, ways to interpret the same words. So maybe just some GIFs or some WebMs would have been helpful yeah. to show them, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, and I found too that's a really important thing too when you're hiring people as well to do work for you that you give them those specific examples because you might get something back that you didn't want, you know, and then you have to pay them more to do more work. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. So, um, what are some of the advantages or what some of the things that you've learned at this school that you don't think you would get studying on your own on the internet, if there's any? Um, definitely motivation. Um, just being surrounded by uh, my my the, all these uh, creative people that are uh, studying together with me in their fields and seeing what they've accomplished already. Because there are some people that have already finished a previous um, like uh, university degree and are now like switching to this one, and some of them already have like uh, graphic design degrees. And what those people, for example, can draw and all of that is really inspiring and motivates you to just um, improve your own uh, skills and your own craft. So that's something that I'm very grateful for. And I'm really sure I couldn't um, have experience without this school. Um, and apart from that, I definitely learned a lot about programming because... Um, so the way our schools wo school work is that you have to pick a specialization at the beginning. You either want to learn about design, art, and programming, 
But for the first two semesters, everyone does everything. So I learned quite a lot of programming uh, during this uh, these last two semesters. Um, well, enough to at least yeah program like some small things, like for example, a guy walking around or like uh, something, some animation playing in the background. So I, I'm able to do that too. And the same is for art. So I could model something in 3D now, which I couldn't before. Um, so yeah, those kinds of skills, um, I probably wouldn't have the uh, the motivation to learn those on my own if I didn't go there. Yeah, so like giving you the skills so that you can prototype something. Yeah, exactly. And also like and also showing me what the other uh like what the program and the artist what their level is for so that I as the designer and also those also the artists and the programmers uh for the designer don't expect something unreasonable. So um, how much is it, because, you know, there's all these programming languages, but, you know, any type of knowing how to program in any language, you speak a little bit of that language. How helpful has it been for you studying design to learn some programming to help you communicate with the programmers on your projects? Oh, uh, it's been very, very helpful because even if you don't um, really know, if, even if you're not at the same level as the professional programmers, you start to get a little bit more into their mindset and how they approach their work and how they think up solutions to problems. And so it's a lot easier to imagine, okay, if this is, for example, a mechanic I want in the game, what are the things that the programmer has to know? And if you've been programming yourself for a little bit, then it helps you to know how you can phrase the thing so the programmer can immediately start implementing that mechanic without needing to ask questions all the time. Yeah, something that really uh, that's really stuck with me after I started programming was that when you're talking to a programmer, all they need to know is what goes into the system and what you want out, you know? And before I got that, you know, maybe I would talk to a programmer and use all these words that didn't mean anything to them because all they need to know is like what goes into the system and what comes out. That's something that was good for me to learn to talk to programmers. Yeah, definitely. They just need to know how to communicate with with them. Yeah, so <laughs> if you can see some of the data structures or you have an idea of how things work, I think it can really help. So anybody out there who's just doing pure design or anything like that, it's good to know a little bit so you can speak a little bit of the language. You can at least say hello and thank you in programming to your programmers. <laughs> yes, definitely. So you're not so rude. <laughs> yeah, I think so, it's. Oh, please, yeah, I ahead. think. Yeah, sure. Um, I think as long as you can read a little bit of code, that's fine. You don't need to be able to write it. If you can read it and understand it, I think that's enough. So um, you were you're specializing in is it game design or like the design of the art in the game? Oh, it's game design. So designing mechanics or characters or story or the world. So only the design part. Okay. So something I've asked everybody on this podcast about, because me, I'm pretty new to game dev. I've only been doing it for five, four, four years now. And something I have a hard time finding information about is low level game design. So the mm -hmm. high level, there's tons of information. You, know, you can find game design documents and a lot of information about the high level, but the low level, like how to draw your levels and tie in 
the locks and the keys and the items onto your map and all that data and all that stuff. Have they given you any secret information about how to do that? Or how are you doing that? What do you think about all that stuff? So um, I've probably been improvising a lot of that. Um, and you're definitely right that there's a lot missing um, for that. Um, but well, the things that personally helped me were probably a lot of um, GDC talks, um, mostly the ones that, the, that are up on YouTube. Um, with the mostly those that don't focus on single games, but those that uh, focus on general concepts um, concerning uh, design in my case. And but yeah, apart from that, I've mostly been improvising. So if I wanted to design a certain thing, it was like, okay, how can I illustrate that the best way so that I can understand it? And even better that other like my team can understand it, then I just try to come up with a way to write it down or to illustrate it that everyone can understand it the best. Yeah, see, it seems strange to me because, I mean, video games have been around for a, for a while and that there's no standard ways to doing things. Let's just say, I know they're different, but like in the world of film production, you have a script, which then you turn into a storyboard, which then you turn into an animatic, which you turn into, there's all these things. And so me, as a former filmmaker, I'm like, where is that for game design and development? What What is the template? Is there a template or is everyone just improvising? Mm, well, I think that a lot of people are improvising. But I also think that there is some kind of template for example i mean i'm i'm not that um uh, versed in film but i could imagine that uh, not every script uh, it has exactly the same format and i think that also for for game design documents you can make them as detailed or as as broad as you need them to be for the project you're doing so mm -hmm. for example for our project we're constantly adding to the document like it's not finished from the beginning we're just adding the things we know should be in there for now and only when the game is finished we also finish our game design document so maybe that's the way to do it i don't know if that's the way it should be done but that's how we're doing it yeah when i was i was looking around and i found a couple there was the old adventure game grim fandango and they posted their low-level game design document so it showed how they mapped out what puzzles controlled what part of the levels and had their maps and showed you where the puzzles were and what areas they allowed you to access. And I think one other book, uh, Game Design Theory and Practice, had mm -hmm. actual low-level documents from a game called The Suffering, which had a list of all the game events, and those were notated with uh, like a prefix for the name of the area. And then they had an area map with then those events on the map. Those are the kind of things I find hard to, I, I'm improvising my own way. So I'm just grabbing out there for other game designers and be like, how do you do it? You know, or has anybody taught you any techniques to help that? Yeah. Um, we've not really learned a lot about those kind of things. We've mo mostly learned about... I don't know, philosophies, I guess, I guess, mm -hmm. because the, the two game design professors we have, one of them is extremely theoretical and the other one extremely practical. 
So with the first one, he usually just talks for, for two or three hours about one concept, for example, like gameplay loop. What What is the gameplay loop? What does game mean? What does play mean? Which doesn't really help with actually designing anything. And mm. with the other one, he just came in with like empty, like completely white board games with white cards and white figures. And that's, there you go, you have three hours, make a game. Mm-hmm. Which also doesn't really tell you how to do it, you just have to do it. So maybe I could imagine that like this university in particular maybe encourages improvising and to, to find your own way. Maybe that's also kind of the draw of the industry in general. Okay. Yeah, and I found just in my limited experience with the games I made, on smaller games, it's not really an issue at all. But when you're making larger games, like 20, 30, 40, 50 hour games with multiple areas that then players return to and things change, that's really where this stuff starts to become an issue. Being able to track all that data and what happens where. So it it didn't really, it wasn't a problem for me until I started making bigger games. And then I'm like, whoa, how do they do this? So. Yeah, well, that's definitely a little bit uh, in the future for me, at least uh, right now. Most of the games we do are like at maximum an hour long. Yeah, Mostly. those. Are, I mean, those are fun games to do. And, yeah, you know, it's like only crazy people go and try to make gigantic projects by themselves. You know, and then they're yeah. <laughs> but, well, um... who, says, who says we aren't crazy? <laughs> so, what part of the game making process do you enjoy the most? Um, definitely the very beginning. Um, when I can think up what, like, my ideal version of the game, like, at the beginning, when, if we get a theme or not, doesn't really matter, but when I get an idea for a game, like, ooh, that, that would be so amazing if I could do this, and then we can add this inside, and oh, it was, will be so amazing, it never turns out that way, but the thinking about it is really fun, and... Mm. Then you slowly do, so so far in your projects, how do you know when something is fun at the prototype phase? I mean, obviously it's when you're prototyping or actually playing it. But how have you figured out what is fun and where does that come in the process? In uh, with the actual game, yeah, or, or like only with the plan? No, with the with, with the game. Um, so um, that's actually difficult to answer. Um, because from our first project, um, I I was invested, but I don't know if that happened to you too. Um, after like the two months of the game, of, of working on the game and the game still not working properly, I just didn't want to look at it anymore. <laughs> so I personally had problems of seeing any fun uh, <laughs> in our first game, but... Um, after having other people play test them, they said that it was fun, so I'm gonna take their word for it for now. <laughs> yeah, because there's yeah, there's that. And yeah, can you talk about what kind of play testing are you doing? Are you there with them in person or is it across the internet? How how are you guys doing that? So for um um we always try to finish our projects one week before the final presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then gather um, both students and um, non-related uh, people, like, like uninvolved people that don't know a lot about game design and often like just players. 
uh, at the university because there's like a lot of screens and a lot of like just computers. And then just, yeah, have them play test it in person and either tell us in person if they feel comfortable or fill out a little survey afterwards of what they uh, thought about the game. And yeah, that's how um, we knew that uh, it mostly worked, but there were some small problems in the game that we still had to fix. And I think that still aren't fixed. <laughs> so when they're when they were playing them, were you watching them? Were you like there watching them play the game? Yes, in uh, at that time, yes. What do what do you look for? Because uh, I just had a game jam project I did over the weekend, and so I was in public watching the people play the game. And when I'm watching, I'm watching for the things they're having difficulties with that aren't supposed to be difficult, and those are usually the things I go and fix. What are you looking for when you're watching a play? Yeah, um, that's definitely one part. I'm also um, always checking if maybe because they uh, because as a developer you you sometimes tend to when testing the game you tend to do only the optimal solution because you know what you're supposed to do. And I was also always uh, checking if maybe because they're like need to experiment because it was a puzzle game and maybe because they need to experiment they maybe find bugs that we didn't know about so of course i'm looking out for that uh, but apart from that um with our game um you constantly need to uh, retry it it's a trial and error kind of game because if you like for example push the box at the wrong uh, position you can't solve it anymore and so what i was uh, checking is if this like trial and error was fun for people or if it was annoying and as far as they told me, they they thought it was fun. So um, another thing that when I'm play testing, I'm I'm watching for the things that give them problems. I'm looking at the stuff that they want to do that's maybe not a part of the gameplay, but they're like, say they're going off on the side and doing something they're not supposed to, but they're finding fun out of it. Now. As a designer, should you go then, like, enhance that part of the mechanic that's not a small part of it? If people are discovering more fun in your game than you, you know, or having fun doing something they're, quote, not supposed to? Um, I mean, I guess it depends on what it is. Um, if, if, for example, um, oh, I don't know. I mean, if the thing they're doing that's that's fun goes against what i thought the game should be like a complete 180 like goes against it um then i would probably still uh just keep it that way i wouldn't necessarily fix it but i wouldn't encourage it but if it's something that's just like on the side and it doesn't really change the main game if it's there it just adds something to it i would say sure why not let's give them more if they like it Okay, can you talk about that? I think that's important. So you as a designer, um, so you decide this is not part of the game, this is part of the game, right? So you're saying if there is something that's not part of what you decided, then you kind of just, you know, ignore it if it is. Can you talk about that? Like the designer's role when you're watching people play tests and deciding, you know, what is the important gameplay, what is it? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm of course always... Um... I always always have an intention, even if I know it or not, but I always want a certain reaction from, from the players at a certain point. And 
if if I get that reaction, I'm of course um, very very happy. Um, but if I um, but I'm also happy about reactions at places where I I didn't expect them, unless it's like completely like flipped on its head, where I was like, wait, no, that's that's not what I wanted you to feel at this moment, or that's not what I what I wanted you to do here. Um, then I. Like I said, it depends on how how hard that like how um, what's the word how much it impacts uh, the game at that point. Um, but yeah, so far I didn't um, have that. Mostly probably because our development times were so short, where um, where I like outright refused someone uh if i can say like that to play a game how he wanted to mm-hmm. um but i um i don't really know how to say it um no no yeah you answered it um let me ask you this too so i came from the world of film yeah. where it's like the director the director you know it's the director's intention and then i came in a game development i read all the books but i don't really know anything about game design as far as like what you're supposed to do or not do so i'm coming into it as like not the like the customer was always right like is the player always right what is the role of the game designer as you see it um yeah i think it depends on the kind of on the type of game you're making um if for example um oh i don't know what which game was it i don't remember but um i heard a story of one game <clears throat> that gives you a lot of freedom and a lot of choices throughout the game. Uh, so the player can decide whatever he wants to do, whatever they want to do. But at the end, there is um, apparently a, a, um, a critical choice where um, you uh, have, have or have not, where you can or cannot shoot your brother. But the game takes the choice away from you and you suddenly can't choose anymore and you only can shoot him. You can't not shoot him. And I personally think that's bad design because you can't give the player freedom throughout the whole game and then suddenly take that freedom away. So basically, I think my philosophy is you need to decide at the beginning, do I want to tell a story that I personally decide and then I can decide it from beginning to end? Or do I want the player to experience his own story, but then I need to allow him to give to to choose all the time and not uh, take that freedom away when I don't want him to have it. Yeah, I've seen a lot of commentary from players about on games where they thought they had freedom and in the end they didn't and they were really disappointed and felt betrayed. So I think that's a good point. Yeah. So is there like a can there be a thing where like it's my game design, it's the way I want it. I don't care what the players want. This is how it is. Is that a thing? I mean, definitely to a certain extent. Um, but um, if, for example, like, um, I guess there there are two ways of looking at it. I guess for one, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, this is the type of game I want to make because I think it's fun for me to make this game. And people that find the same things fun that I do will enjoy it. And the other people, well, the game is not made for them. That's They can uh, find a game that's been made by someone that has the same definition of fun as them. 
But on the other hand, if like a lot people, a lot of people, especially people that do share my sense of what's fun, say, hey, maybe you should change this part. Um, and it's like more than one person, like a lot of people, then I would uh, consider changing it, even if I personally uh, would like to keep it that oh, way. Okay. So if we change gears and go back to design ideas, ideas for mechanics, how do you work on those? How does it start? You have an idea in your head. Do you draw pictures? Do you go prototype it? Can you talk a little bit about how you're doing that? So I usually go from like big to small. So for me, it's always when I hear like a keyword for anything like a theme that the game needs to have or like the name of a mechanic, I always have like one idea just pops into my head. It's probably usually not the best idea, but one idea always comes. And then I, I, I think first, okay, that would be a nice idea. Now, how can I limit that? Because most of the time it's so broad that it would break the game. And then I think, okay, how can I limit that mechanic so that it's actually fun and interesting to use? And then after I limit it, I'm like, okay, how can we actually use it in the game? Um, like, how c can we design puzzles with that or interesting battles or whatever kind of mechanic it, it, it is? And once I find that mechanic, I then think, okay, this would be the mechanic. How far can we take this with that mechanic? Then I basically try to figure out my own mechanic. For example, um, like right now with our current uh, game, where we're trying to implement a hookshot so that you can draw yourself to uh, uh, solid objects, but only if they're in a certain range. And the level I'm designing right now um, is trying to take advantage of that. And now I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so I can draw, I can um, launch myself towards any surface that's in range. What kind of areas, what kind of levels can I design, design with that, that always keep the player engaged without becoming boring? And at this point, is this on paper? Is this through discussions? How are these designs being worked out at this point? So in our team, there are two designers, um, me and my co-designer. Um, well, he would probably label us the other way around. Um, and he likes to sketch things on paper first before he gray boxes it in inside the engine. I'm the other way around. I like to uh, just go into the engine and just do it because then I have something there already and I can turn it around in uh, 360 degrees and really get a look at it and see, okay, does this work? Is this to scale and all of that? Um, but I don't think that there's a, a right or wrong way to do it. I think it just depends on what the designer is more comfortable with. So I've been reading a lot about design approaches and, um, let's just say to make it really simple, there's like the Nintendo Japanese design approach where it's mechanics first and then everything's based mm -hmm. around the mechanics and then say the popular Western, like Hollywood style narrative, where it's about the narrative, and then they try to use the mechanics to enhance the narrative. Um, is that kind of so when you're learning about game design, do they do they look at approaches like that and the different types of ways you can design a game? Um, so far, not probably because those two parts are separated between the different professors. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess the philosophy that they have is um, think of both sides equally. I've heard an a um, what was it called a design like like a way of designing games that starts at one part 
and then goes to the other one and does like one for example you start with one mechanic and then you go on the other side and think of one part of the narrative then you go back down again and think okay how can i incorporate that narrative in a mechanic and then you go back up with how does that mechanic fit in the narrative and you go up and down again until you meet in the middle and then both sides are balanced that's one way of doing it that oh, I've that's heard. a good technique yeah i was reading a book it's called designing games by sylvester and he talks about he breaks it down until these all the different um uh, terminologies but he talks about how any mechanic is enhanced by emotion mm -hmm. so if you can tie the narrative the emotion into the mechanic then it's more powerful and so i i think it's something along those lines uh, that's also one thing we try to do um for example uh we tr uh, we thought about doing a game uh where you're fighting um and you can lose for example body parts uh if they're like cut off and if or if you're like just uh, wounded or damaged and for example if you lose your eye then like half of the screen would go black mm -hmm. and uh impact the player directly so like you can tie the gameplay to the narrative in order to uh, enhance the emotion that's happening yeah that's an interesting that's an exciting idea what um so as we we wrap up our podcast what excited you why did you go into game design and now that you're doing it what is exciting about it for you going forward um so what uh decided me to go into game design was it was a weird thing i i originally wanted to become an engineer but I figured out that I can't do anything with my hands. I can't build anything. It just falls apart or looks really, really bad. And um, at some point, I just realized that I've always like thought up stories and always um, thought of like games I would like to play that don't exist yet. And I was like, well, why, why don't I just why don't I just make them? and um so yeah now i'm i'm finally doing that i'm finally doing some of the games not not the big ones i have in my head those uh, will probably take a few more years to uh fully flesh out and actually get done but uh yeah i'm looking forward to meeting a lot of uh, other uh, people and uh, other uh teammates that i could probably make even more and even cooler games with yeah so would you recommend the program you're in at the the school you're in right now in cologne i think it was you said yes i would definitely definitely recommend it it's pretty hard as far as i've been told to get in we've just had the uh, last interview session of the the few people that, whose application has been accepted and now they're going to be they were interviewed and a few of them will be chosen to attend um but uh if you can make it in i would definitely um yeah recommend going there not not, not necessarily maybe for the teaching but definitely to get your motivation up and to get some experience actually working in a team and what it means to coordinate a project. Okay. And outside of the schooling, what are some of the most uh, useful things you found out on the internet that have helped you with what you're doing in school? Um, 
Yeah, like I said before, also a lot of the uh, GDC lectures uh, on YouTube were a, a, a huge um, uh, source of information and also inspiration. And well, apart from that, um, a lot of a lot of different forums. I don't even think it was one in particular. I think it was just all over the place. Like if I had a problem with one certain thing, I just search for it on the internet and something somewhere came up um so yeah search learning how to search for the right things i guess is an important skill that i also probably picked up from programming um and probably learning how to search github repositories right and just you know. like github or, or stack overflow yeah i mean there's a, a gold mine in github you just search in github for certain topics like Unity AI planner, and you'll find, you know, 20 planners that people have made that are open source. You can just grab them and do things. Um, so going forward into your education and career doing games, is there anything you want to say to leave with our listeners? Um, well, I'm definitely looking forward to what the future uh, may hold. I will continue for now uh, definitely this uh, program until i'm done and i can only encourage everyone listening to just try and um yeah do what they want to do and maybe just start working on a simple game and see if if the motivation can can last to maybe uh become something bigger oh i thought of one last question along oh, those lines sure what have you found that has been a lot easier working on games that you thought was more difficult before you did it? And what have you found that is really difficult that you thought was probably easy, if anything? Um, well, yeah, like I said, for the second one, definitely getting everyone on the same page of like, even with like simple things, like everyone having the same picture, like the same image in their head of how the game should look like is so much more difficult than I ever imagined it to be, even if you're speaking the same language and using the same words. So yeah, that's definitely a lot more difficult. Um, concerning the other part, uh, I guess actually level design is a tiny bit easier than I thought it would be, but I'm not really sure if what I'm doing is good level design, just level design in general is a bit easier than I thought it might be. Okay, I'll have to have you back on again to talk about level design because that's something I find it's hard to find good information about too, like what makes a good level. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for being on the Game Dev Grip podcast and then we'll have stuff you talked about and if your projects are public, we'll post them in the show notes. So thanks for being on and we hope we'll have you again on in the future to track what you're doing and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Sure, thanks for having me.